Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. That's where we look ahead to what's likely to be making news and shaping markets in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. This week, that means we'll be looking at finding out what connects this gentle piece of music. That's to the rough and tumble of the banking scene. And after BP's drubbing over Bob Dodley's pay, we'll be finding out if he's earned it with a preview of its results. And finally, who's this famous Silicon Valley entrepreneur saying he doesn't want to conquer the world? There doesn't necessarily have to be more. You know, I mean... Like, a lot of people are focused on, like, taking over the world or doing, like, the biggest thing, getting the most users. And, I mean, I think, like, part of making a difference and doing something cool is focusing intensely. We'll find out who that is later on. I'm joined by Catherine Griffiths, the banking editor of The Times, Robin Pagnamenta, our energy editor, and James Dean, technology correspondent for The Times. Welcome to you all. Of course, that soothing clip, Catherine Griffiths, banking editor, we just played, that's from the Black Horse Advertisements for Lloyds Bank. And we're getting some updates from them, as well as the fellow High Street Banks, Barclays and Royal Bank of Scotland. And uh, well, we're getting trading updates from them and results from Standard Charter, them, all of them FTSE 100 stalwarts. But let's start with Lloyds Banking Group. It has a lot of retail investors. Are they going to be happier? after this trading update? Yeah, I think retail investors in Lloyds are going to be reasonably happy. Lloyds has started to pay dividends, which is the really big thing for that particular stock, which was a kind of a key moment last year. Um, And actually, of all the banks, Lloyds will probably look quite solid next week, not least because it's the biggest retail bank in this country, something it doesn't particularly want to advertise these days, given that there's a competition investigation going on. But that does make it a bit like a huge cash machine, actually. So it's a quite a profitable outfit. But probably other banks will have a less happy story to tell. Um, Certainly Standard Chartered is going to be ugly. Uh, It's a big emerging markets bank, and it has lent a lot of money to energy companies and to big corporates in places like India and it's had a tough time and really what everyone is kind of holding their breath for is whether there's some sort of very ugly bad loans that are going to come out. So I was going to say and, and Lloyd's banking group as well in the past, Royal Bank has gone, they have all usually surprised in recent years on the downside, haven't they, with these these provisions? It's, it's compensations, it's misconduct. Yes, yes, they certainly have. I mean, actually, next week is going to be quiet on payment protection insurance for the first time in an awfully long time. 
it doesn't particularly say anything that great about the banks. It just sort of says that at the full year results, they took whacking great provisions for PPI. And now the banking sector is holding its breath to see whether politicians and regulators will kind of play ball and introduce a cutoff point for people to make PPI complaints. So that's going to be a fairly quiet one next week. But Certainly, um, investment banking at Barclays is going to be another worrying area. Um, I mean, they will say, well, you shouldn't be surprised. Look back to last week when we saw all the US banks report and everyone has had a pretty shocking start to the year. So in a sense, it's just a sort of following on of the trend. But the problem for Barclays is that fundamentally US investment banking is more profitable. It's just a bigger market. Um, the question Barclays has got to answer is actually quite an existential one, and that's whether in this day and age you can have a profitable European investment bank. James Dean, before taking on the technology beat, you were uh, on the business desk. You indeed looked at the banks and did a lot of fine stories on them. Do you generally, as a, as a follower of business affairs, see a better standard of behaviour than you did when you were when you were looking at them? Really what Catherine was saying, that we may be coming to the end of this time. It feels like we are, yeah. I mean, with the, the music from the Lloyds Bank advert, kind of reminded me just how much work the banks have done in terms of a PR exercise to try and make people trust them again. They all have quite a lot of pretty ads over the last few years. I think it's all part of a fairly concerted effort to look better, especially to to uh, to to people in the for the real retail bank side of things. So to consumers, it seems like I mean there used to be story after story about huge PPI provisions for years and years and years, and it does seem like it has slowed down considerably. Certainly, uh, within the last couple of years, there's been a lot less on it. I think. Uh, I think it was at the end of near, near the end of 2014. I think the Financial Conduct Authority hit Lloyd's with a an absolutely huge fine for its you know these uh, misdoings over PPI, and that almost seemed like it was the not the final nail in the coffin, but certainly the last big story we'd heard about PPI from Lloyd's. Well, money talks, doesn't it? So in total, the industry has spent about £40 billion, £40 billion, that is, on PPI, which is far bigger, actually, than when you think about LIBOR or all sorts of kind of investment banking scandals. Um, and Lloyd's of that, is, it's costing them about 14 to £15 billion so far, and it will end up costing them more. And I certainly think that banks have learned lessons and the problem in the past has been that they fundamentally had a kind of wrongly structured market so 10 years ago 15 years ago or so banks made about a third of their retail banking profit from PPI and that's because they weren't charging the proper amount for current accounts so they had to invent this kind of totally it wasn't totally spurious but it was a product where in most cases it was designed not to pay out and I think they have learned that they they just you know it's actually just incredibly self-defeating that said I think people in general would still feel that actually when it really comes to it their bank isn't really there to help them they certainly say it is they say that they're kind of customer focused but um, I think the jury is really still out on whether that's the case or not. You mentioned earlier didn't you about oil and some of the loans they've been making in the energy market Robin if I could bring you in here when you hear about this are they going to be tied up in this, in some sort of commodity round banks because of their exposure, or do you think they've been fairly sensible? Uh, I think there's certainly a big risk of that. I mean, we've already seen some problems, in, particularly in the US banking sector, some of the smaller banks that are heavily exposed to the US shale industry. Um, there's talk about you know hundreds of billions of dollars worth of 
uh, souring loans in the US shale industry. And you, certainly, you know, that there is, there is a risk of that. I think a lot obviously depends on, on the oil price and the extent to which uh, a, a rebound in commodity prices may sort of help allay some of those concerns and may, you know, help some of these banks out of, out of, a, out of a mess. All right. Well, there's lots to be thinking about there. We're going to take a short break now. But when we come back, we'll be talking about oil with Robin further and revealing who that mystery voice belongs to. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. 2016 has been branded the year of the SME. This is your year. Time for your business to stand out. Are you ready? Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Welcome back. Robin Pagnamenta, BP. I mean, you've been covering the huge row over the chief executive's pay and it's even dragged the Chancellor into the debate. First, are these forthcoming results going to show that maybe Bob Dudley, the chief executive, is worth it? And what sort of ravages, secondly, has the relatively low oil price historically, anyway, wreaked on the bottom line? The answer to the first part of your question is quite simple. I mean, I I don't think there's any chance that BP is going to suddenly show some uh, dramatic rise in, in profits that will make everyone think that uh, his pay packet was uh, was fully justified, certainly among investors. It's going to be another very tough quarter for BP. So, so and, and BP is suffering, if anything, more than uh, some of its bigger rivals like Exxon and Shell. Uh, I'd expect this to be a pretty rough quarter for, for Bob Dudley. I mean, the, the bigger question about his pay and whether it's justified, I mean, I think one of the things that has been slightly forgotten in this debate is is the extent to which this links in with Macondo. Although this has been characterised as a debate over, over boardroom pay and boardroom sort of excess generally, Dudley's pay packet does have specific sort of characteristics that after the Macondo disaster in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, BP linked executive pay very closely to safety and so and this is really you know the, the, this enormous pay packet that he's received for 2015 is linked to these metrics that that uh, linked safety performance and the company's safety performance uh, to pay over and above everything else including uh, profitability and the oil price uh, it's a slightly unusual situation I mean I think the, the, the great mistake that uh, that Anne Dowling, the the BP pay chief, made, I think, was to not realise and not exercise discretion uh, and to realise that this was just not going to be acceptable. And that um, although, you know, he may have fulfilled, he may have done very well and and BP may have done well in reducing safety incidents, it simply wasn't going to be acceptable to investors in the current environment to, to make that kind of pay award. Robin, what I wonder with that is, do you think that BP just kind of road roughshod over investors' views. Um, I mean, I can only imagine that some of the big investors made it clear. What do you think it did? Do you think it just thought it would be able to get away with it, or what happened? Well, I think there are two There are two possible explanations, and it's a very interesting question. Uh, the first is that this was simply a, a big error of, of judgment, more than possible, even at, even at a company as big as BP, that, that they simply didn't see what was coming. It does seem extraordinary that that would happen, and particularly, as you say, they would have had at least a couple of weeks to, you know, they would have known for at least a couple of weeks that this was going to happen, and they could have uh, presumably uh, worked to, to stop it. So there is another explanation, which is that there is something that we don't fully understand yet, that there may have been a reason why they decided not to exercise discretion. Perhaps 
there's a succession issue perhaps they wanted to retain Dudley perhaps you know there, there are other possibilities in the mix uh, but we don't we simply don't know uh, whether or not that may or may not be the case but looking at the second part of my question the, the the ravages of the oil price you know we're looking down in the low to mid 40s it's not really sustainable at that level for BP, is it, without having to perhaps go back and revisit some of its strategic partnerships that it's made, I'm thinking in Russia and elsewhere? Uh, well, I think what we're going to see, uh, you know, the real question for BP is the dividend. Uh, you know, they, they signalled at the AGM last week, although they you know, publicly remain committed to the dividend at current levels, they did seem to signal... Uh, that there was the possibility that that, that they could uh, they could change the dividend, which would obviously be uh, a huge deal for for investors, given that you know this is a, this contributes a very big chunk of all FTSE dividends. I, th- I think what we're going to see uh, later this year, if oil prices remain at these levels, is you know that the BP and others will start to have to adjust the dividend. That's the first thing that we'll see. I mean, already many, many oil projects already uneconomic at these at these levels, uh, you know, as, as we're seeing in the North Sea and elsewhere. Lots to watch out for there too. And Robin, of course, will be reporting live as all that happens online and reporting it in the paper the next day. Finally, if you hadn't already guessed that mystery voice, it was Mark Zuckerberg. It was in 2005 and he was giving an interview, a very sort of relaxed interview to the Palo Alto-based investor and writer Sheriff Shah. This is how he described his ambitions for Facebook way back then. I think Facebook is an online directory for colleges and I mean, it's kind of a directive. So if I want to look you up or get information about you, I just go to the Facebook and type in your name and it brings me up like hopefully all the information I'd care to know about you or like a good amount of the information I'd want to know about you. James Dean, technology correspondent. I mean, what, that was 11 years ago, wasn't it? I mean, Facebook does appear to have taken over the world. Where can it go from here? And and what do you expect from the latest results? Where can it go? I mean, it's branched out into so many different areas now. It's hard to say um, where it's going. I mean, in terms of the actual social network itself, this is the Facebook social network that we all know. It has a billion users every month at the moment. This is people who actively use it. That's an absolutely huge figure. It's still growing. The biggest change we've seen over the last couple of years is how many people are using Facebook on their mobile devices. So I think in the last uh, in the last quarter, uh, three months to December, Facebook's revenues, 80% of them came from mobile. I think in the forthcoming results, we're expecting that to go up slightly. Credit Suisse said on Monday it could be about 82%. So mobile is absolutely dominating, obviously. Obviously, we've got to remember as well that it's not just Facebook anymore. I mean, since Mark Zuckerberg was talking 11 years ago, Facebook has bought uh, Instagram, the uh, photo sharing site. Uh, it's bought uh, WhatsApp, the messaging service. So it's actually Facebook is now kind of almost a, a conglomerate of various different types of technologies. So... I mean, Credit Suisse again is saying that Instagram alone might might contribute more than $570 million to the first quarter results, which we're hearing on the 27th next week. That's a huge amount considering it cost only a billion dollars in the first place. So, you know, Mark Zuckerberg certainly has almost kind of taken over certain parts of the Internet. I just I, I, I'm no expert, but but my my uh, sense about Internet companies like Facebook is I, I'm, I'm just sort of fundamentally suspicious of their durability as a business model just given the fact that internet companies are are so subject to the sort of fickle nature of uh, 
of consumers you know when the next the next uh, exciting software or website comes up you know it's, it's so easy for people to switch across and for a, a business model to sort of disintegrate how durable is is facebook and is it at at risk of that kind of you know sudden dramatic erosion of its popularity anything can be i mean things can change extremely quickly i mean obviously a lot of uh, silicon valley companies rise and then fall within a maybe a shorter period of time than say your your FTSE 100 utility you know we've seen the rise and fall of yahoo that only took uh, probably took less than uh, 25 years altogether but what's slightly different about, say, what Facebook are doing, and maybe you, you can also group Google in this as well, is they're experimenting a lot outside of the core kind of business model. So it's not just about technology. It's not about what goes on in the Internet. Facebook, for example, is experimenting with putting drones up in the sky to beam uh, to beam Internet connections to people, which is kind of maybe you might think an odd thing for a technology company to do that's kind of, you know, was brought up around software. Uh, Google's doing the same with drones, uh, with air drones, with balloons that go up in the sky to beam Internet connections. I mean, all of this is pretty self-serving because it helps you know expand the internet to places where it's not at the moment so that people can use facebook they can use google the companies make more money from advertising revenue so obviously that suits them the latest thing that uh, facebook's looking at i mean it is again a software thing is something called chatbots now mark zuckerberg said uh, at the recent f8 developers conference that he ex- effectively expected chatbots to replace customer services hotlines so instead of calling up on the phone and saying you needed help with something, you'd type it on your phone and you'd get a response from this robot somewhere. It would help you out and therefore, obviously, you'd have no uh, humans to talk to on the other side. So they're experimenting with a hell of a lot of different things and um, some of the experiments are zanier than others. But I think considering that they have such a huge amount of money, they're able to spend quite a lot on these uh, interesting projects. Catherine? Um, I just wondered, I and mean, given that Google has been so much in the news this week over its kind of its own world dominance, has Facebook any got any issues with that? Are we going to see the Brussels breathing down its neck at all? It's certainly possible. I mean, there's not on the Brussels front. There's not much going on in terms of Facebook at the moment. That some of the a lot of the technology companies share the share the same 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 side of the scandal in terms of tax payments. Obviously, Facebook has been wild, widely pilloried for not paying enough tax in the UK, as have a lot of the other technology companies, Apple, Google, all fall in the same basket. But it does look like uh, it does look like Margaret Verstager, who's the uh, EU Competition Commissioner, certainly has Silicon Valley in her sights. So we may well be seeing something against Facebook fairly soon. Well, we'll probably be hearing it from you first on Twitter, probably, James. Thanks very much for that. Well, that's just about it for now. But remember, you can read about all those results when they happen online, as well as read all the business news and comment. And if you're a Times subscriber, don't forget to sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails. There's still that special £1 offer for a subscription. You'll find that by going to thetimes.co.uk. And if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Catherine Griffiths, James Dean and Robin Pagnamenta. They are all on Twitter, so do follow them. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. 
Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl! Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 